Hello, friends. It is Friday, May 29th. There are 5,900,197 cases of COVID-19 in the world, but 2,577,159 of those people have recovered. It's been two days since the NHL announced their plans for their return to play, six days since the Trinity Bellwoods mess, if you're from Toronto, you know what I'm talking about, and about 36 hours since Bob and Doug very nearly went to space. However, in spite of some improvements, most things are still not happening. It's not happening. It's not happening today. Not today. So welcome to Not Happening. I'm Jeffrey Garriock. I'm here to tell you about all of the things that won't be happening today. Cirque du Soleil won't be putting on their new Crystal show in St. Catharines, which is really a shame since I personally think they're something of a wonder of the modern world. No one will be out on a patio in downtown Toronto, mainly due to the pandemic, but also because it's going to rain. And the Canada-U.S. border will not, in fact, open as we'd hoped so many weeks ago, but will remain closed until further notice. So that's not happening either. But one thing that is happening is that I will be speaking with a wonderful and interesting person. So my guest today... He's pretty multifaceted. Primarily, he's a scientist, a glaciologist to be precise, but he dabbles in biology as well. He's a National Geographic Explorer, a Rolex Award for Enterprise winner, and the proponent for and subject of a film that I helped make a few years ago called Ice Alive. Joseph Cook, not to be confused with the former Prime Minister of Australia, has spent countless days, weeks, and even months exploring the nature of ice in the polar regions, its effects on our climate, and how even in the world's most remote and inhospitable places, you can find life. Because of that, he is no stranger to isolation. So, without further ado, here is my chat with Joseph Cook. How are you doing? Um, very good, thank you. Yeah, uh, it's a real, real pleasure to be on your podcast. I listened to the other episodes. I thought it was great. Uh, I'm really excited to be here, man. And it's, it's just great to reconnect with you as well. We had a good time in Greenland a few years ago. Yeah, absolutely. Where are you isolating at the moment? Are you back home in the UK? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm at home. Uh, I live in a uh, just a small town by the seaside uh, on the south coast of England, uh, Margate. And um you know, honestly, I couldn't choose a nicer place to be to be isolated. I just love it. It's, we're just a five-minute walk from the beach. Um, so we're very, very lucky to be isolated here. I'm, I'm happy to hear that because I know, that I, personally, I'm here in downtown Toronto. And while Toronto is a lovely place, in isolation, it's become a very different place. Mm. And um, I, I don't know, like in the UK, are people, are people taking it seriously? Like when you go out for a walk, are people staying, keeping the distance? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. At this time of year in Margate is normally, um, it's, like, it's like Mardi Gras, you know, you go along the beach, there's barbecues, there's parties, there's, um, yeah, there's just people around all the time. Um, there's a big art center that normally just attracts people. The beach is, is full of people getting ice cream, all that sort of stuff. It's a ghost town. It's an absolute ghost. Wow. All you see when you go out, just, just people occasionally walking their dogs, um, keeping the distance from everyone else, just a few people on the beach and that that's it. It's very strange. Well, it's strange here as well, but the problem I think we're having is is a, a question of timing because it, the weather is just starting to get good. And mm. in, in Toronto, like if you can be outside, that is the be all end all. So like when, when the weather is even just going to suggest that it's warm enough, people are on the patio having a pint in their winter coats. It would just be if there's just a little bit of sunshine. Same, so Same here. I mean, we're, we're a seaside town. We're so reliant on the summer. Uh, you know, all the businesses are based around 
around the summer around getting on the beach you know getting to the seaside and and it's just it's sad it's um it's frightening to see it just completely on lockdown completely shut <laughs> the whole town yeah, shut. no kidding no it's it's definitely odd i mean you can walk you can walk through the middle of the street in rush hour here which is a very strange thing to yeah. be able to say but i'm glad that people are taking it seriously i know at, at first here it was it was tricky and then we started to pick things up and everyone was going really well and now if there's the barest suggestion of the flattening of the curve people are like okay well we're, we're done then we can go outside and it's it now more than ever is the time i think to hang on and buckle down so hopefully hopefully we'll see it through that way yeah it's kind of interesting to to see you know the classic british thing you you spend all year wanting to sit on the sofa and watching netflix and as soon as you get told there's a deadly virus you can't go outside everyone's decided they're suddenly marathon runners and they <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah go ahead sit down you can get all of those like that huge list of recommendations you have in your phone of all of your friends that go for it and people are like well i'd rather be outdoors <laughs> exactly <laughs> have you managed to to sort of dig in and enjoy like have you got any good uh, isolation activities that you have been sort of seeing the time pass with uh yeah 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 well you know for me work hasn't really changed um i work from home almost all the time anyway except for when i'm traveling so i'm as, I'm as busy as i've ever been really uh you know wow i'm, I'm so I'm jealous very lucky in a lot of ways because uh well i'm, I'm very very lucky because my income is not really threatened at the moment and I've got plenty of work to do. So I, I'm using the time quite productively. The main thing for me is that my summer expeditions have been have, have all been canned, obviously. Right. But in a lot of ways, that's not a terrible thing because that means I'm, I'm just tying up all the loose ends of projects that are kind of hanging or um, you know, bits of software that need finishing off and documentation, these writing, all of those things that that never seem to get to the top of the list or suddenly we've got time to, to go back and just get them all tidied up. And in a lot of ways, that's, that's kind of a, a positive thing. Yeah. It sounds like it's almost been a good thing organizationally for you. Well, you know, from a lot of polar expeditions from a long time in ice camps, um, all of that kind of stuff, like working in remote, in remote environments for the last 12 years no stranger to isolation and uh, right <laughs> i got a lot of kind of techniques and strategies and things like that from um that, that i've learned from being in the field for a long time that um that just help you know you have to make isolation your friend and anything that you can share i mean for, for context i know that uh, some of your summer expeditions involve you and an incredibly small team in a tent how many kilometers inland on the greenland ice sheet well it varies but you know 50 kilometers or something at least far enough that when you get out of the tent in the morning it's just ice in every direction 360 degrees all the way to the horizon nothing nothing but ice to see no landscape just just ice and taken in by helicopter as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So you're left in the middle of the ice sheet uh, with just the, you know, just what you've packed, just what you think you're going to need to survive for a couple of months or whatever. And uh, and then the helicopter flies away and that's it. You're, you're, you're left, you're isolated, truly isolated. No phone, no internet, no 4G, no nothing like that. Yeah, and the Greenland Netflix selection isn't great either. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> so then what can you share from, from your time on the ice that you think people might be able to use or might be able to help themselves with? Well, you know, for me, uh, I've I found that the best survival strategy, and this might not this might not work for everyone, but for, for my personality, certainly, the best survival strategy for long periods away in isolation for me is just to impose arbitrary discipline 
on myself. It doesn't matter <laughs> what it is, just making up some tasks and then treating them as if they're really important. It could be anything, you know, like uh, physical exercise is a good one. You just say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do uh, 500 press-ups before I have my morning coffee or I'm going to write three pages of, uh, I'm going to write three pages in a journal or I'm going to analyze that bit of data that's been hanging over or, you know, at home it can be anything. I'm going to tidy that room. I'm going to paint that wall that I've been meaning to paint. I'm going to fix that thing or whatever. Just arbitrary tasks. But the important thing is that when you finish the day, you have a feeling of accomplishment. And, you know, after a little while, those things build up, they become habits instead of things that you have to force yourself to do. And then by the end of the period of isolation, those, if those habits stack up, you've, you've improved your life, you know, you've improved yourself and you've turned that period of isolation from something that was a, that was a challenge, that was something uncomfortable into, into being a, something valuable. You've extracted value from it. You've made it something beneficial. I mean, so much of this, I think, is going to be us reframing the way we look at it, because the words self-isolation and quarantine get thrown around, particularly in the news, mm-hmm. but even as a joke between people. And I think even when it's meant lightheartedly, when you use those words over and over again, you start to view your situation as I am isolated, I'm quarantined, and this is what I have. But I think I think my life generally is very unstructured because I'm traveling for most of it and I'm very rarely traveling to the same place twice. So I'll be in one place here for two weeks, then I'm away elsewhere for four days. So I've never had something like a routine Mm. and being at home every day has allowed me to create a couple of routines. Like I'm cooking almost all of my meals. And the first thing I do when I wake up is I wash the dishes from the previous night. So I'm getting that done first thing in the morning. And it's, it's something that when you have a huge meal and you have a huge sink full of dishes, it's not always a thrilling thing to go and visit that. But now it's automated. You know, like you said, like it's become a habit. I wake up, I go to the sink. I don't think about it. I'm doing dishes before I do anything else in my day. Yeah, exactly. And you add a few of those things up and they make a big difference. It's, it's, it's interesting. I, I think that there is a lot, uh, a lot of positivity to be taken away from this if, uh, if you frame it up right. I think so. I mean, it, it's, it's obviously a, it's, it's a terrible situation that the world's in. Um, it's scary. It's disruptive. But yeah, any disruption is almost kind of by definition also an opportunity if you look at it in the right way um, because it forces you out of the patterns of your normal life and that inevitably there will be inefficiencies and tailwinds that you're carrying just just out of habit just because you've fallen into that routine and if you see it in a positive way if you've got if you if you if you tackle this kind of open-mindedly and try and identify those things, then we can come out of this stronger and smarter and better than we went in. It is a, certainly an opportunity whenever you get to disrupt these things, especially especially with so many of us attempting to disrupt our own lives in a positive way, whether it's you know reducing our use of plastic or trying to get it and go to the gym or whatever the case may be. There are so many of those things that we can still do now. And if anything, they've been made easier by this situation. Yeah, absolutely. I'll tell you one, one thing that I've, uh, I've just started doing just last week, actually, that, that's been transformative for me. And it's such an easy thing. And um, yeah, it's, it seems so benign, so pointless, but it's made such a difference to my days is morning pages. 
And this was an idea that I, I, I partly got from my wife because she's been doing it, but she, she's a novelist and she's, she's been writing uh, this behemoth of a novel for several years. And she gets up in the morning and just, just scribbles down on paper. She calls it morning pages. And it's also something that uh, Tim Ferriss has talked about in his podcast. And, oh, yeah. um, and it works. It, 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 it just works, man. You just get a, a notebook out and just scribble whatever's in your head for 20 minutes. I've started just using a stopwatch, just putting it on for 20 minutes, first thing in the morning and just getting some stuff out onto the page. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be nonsense. It can be something profound or it can be something completely arbitrary, just just rubbish. Or it could just be the same word over and over. It doesn't matter. You just get in, <laughs> <laughs> you just get in what's in your head out onto the page and it, you know, it's, it, it's, it's profound in a way, whatever you're writing down, because it just shows you where your consciousness is at. It shows you those, um, it, it, it's like a way to access these subconscious and just find out what are the things that are actually bothering me, what things are influencing my decisions and my behaviors during the day that you might not even recognize if you weren't just, just scribbling some, some stream of consciousness down on a page just for 20 minutes. It's such an easy thing to do, but it's been so transformative. Really? I, it's amazing that you've seen, I, I will say my girlfriend is a huge advocate for journaling mm. and she keeps a really, really uh, short form journal that was given to her. It's a one line a day journal mm. and it's meant to take you through five years. So on each page, it's uh, it'll be one particular day out of the year, which means that when you reach that day, the following year, you see the previous year's entries. Mm. So you, you'd see, you know, today's April 18th, you'd see April 18th, uh, 2018, 2019, 2020, as you go to write it down. She's on to year three of it. And it's it's had similar effects for her, where it's both a really great thing to sort of see what's in your subconscious, because some of the notes that she comes up with are quite funny. Often it's just a summation of the day, but more than, often than that, it'll be a cute thing that happened or a thought that stuck with her or maybe an interaction that she particularly enjoyed. But it's also been really interesting because do, do you look back on your morning pages no well honestly i've only been doing it for two weeks so i think i oh, remember them all <laughs> no no i don't really i don't even necessarily keep them so it's just okay that's very interesting it's so just then- a, it's just a it's just a one-time process just to help to optimize the day just to try and get my head in the right place for um for making the best of the day i like that frame that way because i was resistant to the journal because to me it seemed Although a nice way of getting your thoughts down, it's also very much uh, something to look back on. Mm. And I I think that like the nostalgia factor is lovely. We go through every now and then she'll read something to me that happened with the two of us the, the year before she'll be like a year ago today, we were off doing this or we, we had this dinner or saw this film or hung out with our friends. And that is nice, but I like, it appeals to me more to as like a form of exercise mm-hmm. than, uh, than as a form of, uh, of nostalgia or of memory. Exactly. Exactly. What well, exactly how I see it is it's a form of exercise. It's almost a form of, it's almost like a mindfulness thing. It's almost like a meditation. It's just, um, it's, it's nothing to do with the past. It's nothing to do with the future. It's just about getting what's present in your mind onto a page, just, just to be aware. And you do it pen and pad rather than typing. Yeah. Yeah. Do, yeah. do you feel, is, is there something visceral about actually physically writing it? Yeah, I, I, I guess so. Yeah, I think so. I'm into notebooks at the moment. <laughs> for, okay. For work as well for, um, you know, for, for the work day, not just for the morning pages, but I have a, an A4 square um squared notepad on my desk and that's a new thing too and just just having that open on the desk and just writing just half a line sometimes um about the tasks that i'm doing during the day i found that just just um again kind of transformative 
I've got a stopwatch and a notebook on my desk now. That's a new work thing. And it's, <laughs> That's it's really just interesting. Like, it's just changed, changed the whole work day. I've got a real uh, habit, a bad habit of going down rabbit holes. And, um, you know, I'll look up suddenly from having a code editor open uh, and eight hours will have passed. And then there'll be a stack of jobs I was supposed to do during the day that I haven't got around to. And in some ways, I don't know whether I've been, um, yeah, you sort of trick yourself into thinking you're working hard and getting lots done. But really, you've, just been, you've been staring at a, an open editor for the whole day and you've just moved some lines of code around. Things haven't improved that much and you've burned out at the end of the day. And now I just, I just got the notepad on my desk. It's got a, a list of tasks that I want to have done and an idea of how much time I want to spend on each one. And that actually use the stopwatch when I start doing a task. So, okay, I need to, res- need to respond to that email or whatever. That shouldn't take more than five minutes. I actually set a five minute stopwatch. And then by the oh, end wow. of that, it's done. It's, it's getting sent or it's getting binned. Like one or the other. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a really good strategy because I have, I'm the same as you. I end up in a rabbit hole very, very easily. I open a window to, to get something. Oh, okay. I need to send this file to this person and you see something else and you're like, Oh, I need to deal with that. I had notes that I was going to deal with. And then you go to find your notes and you're like, Oh, but also I've written down that I need to do X, Y, and Z. And then you've done one tenth of 400 things rather than one thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You were mentioning earlier, this is sort of a strange time in a bit of a trying time, but it's also, it's an opportunity and it's not just an opportunity for us, but I wanted to ask you if it's sort of an opportunity for the planet as well. I know that a lot of people have come out to say that in terms of uh, climate change and in terms of climate science, the earth's not been like this in quite some time. Mm. And there's some, a lot of really interesting examples of what the reduced travel patterns we've been, we've been having have, have had. There, there are cities in India that can see the Himalayas that haven't seen the Himalayas in 80 years. Mm. And things like that. Like, do you think it's an opportunity for us to look at some of those things as well? It's a very, very interesting question. Um, and I don't think I have a simple answer, but there are definitely upsides, right? There's definitely opportunities here. Uh, one is uh, clearer skies. And that means not, not only is that just nice, but uh, it improves satellite remote sensing, optical remote sensing. So we can see the planet better from space. That's good for getting better data. Right. right yeah. So that's cool in itself. Um, there's other upsides. Uh, lower emissions, of course, that's good. Um, demonstration of the fact that we can live in a low carbon way. Um, shifting mindsets away from driving everywhere, flying everywhere, using things like Zoom or Teams or whatever to have virtual meetings instead of flying around to have in-person meetings. Maybe some of that, some of those behavioral shifts might stick. I don't know. I hope, but I'm not quite as optimistic as, as I might be. I, I can see downside as well. Right. Um, <laughs> there's going to be gaps in the data. That's a big one. I mentioned earlier that my expeditions have all been cancelled for the year. Well, that's not just me. That's uh, that. That's worldwide. That's that's across science. You know, there's going to be major gaps in our climate data records for the year. Uh, the major ice. Uh, ice core drilling campaigns, the, the the critical data that we need to find out what's going on on the ground. You know, the front line of science is is on pause. Twenty twenty is just not going to be there in those in those records. That's a problem. That's a big problem. The science is just not not getting done. The other thing that I worry about is kind of the uh, the rebound effect. What happens when lockdown lifts? Are we just going to have this sort of consumerism on crack to try and get the economy started again? Are all the all the gains that we've made? Is it just going to be like double emissions afterwards to <laughs> to try and get us back to where we were and 
in terms of the economy, I'd I've heard, about, heard a lot of people say, oh, it's going to be like the purge when we get out of this, where everyone is just going to go absolutely bonkers and do <laughs> well, it. Yeah, maybe everyone trying to get the, you know, get those holidays that they didn't get before all of the business that's going to be suddenly um, ramped back up again, trying to make, trying to make back the losses from the last six weeks or, you know. It's, and, and, and trying to live a year of your life in the space of a few weeks. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And the other thing as well is, um, you know, the, the climate system is so big, it's so vast. The, the canonical example or, the, or, you know, the big analogy that people use is trying, like trying to turn around a tanker ship. Um, it doesn't just spin on a dime. It's, it takes years of sustained low emissions. And I, I read recently that the, um, the drop in emissions that we've experienced during the lockdown is not even of a large enough magnitude uh, of what we need to sustain for multiple years on end to meet the um, meet the meet the targets, meet the emission targets for wow. decades. So it's like it just, if anything, it's it's kind of just reiterated the magnitude of the challenge that stands before us in terms of in terms of meeting the climate goals. I mean, hopefully, though, that means that people will start to take it more seriously, if, if for no other reason than showing, OK, if we take extreme measures to combat something, it's a battle that we could win. And if we are willing to take more extreme measures, which in this case, we've sort of it's been forced upon us, but we've proven that we can live this way. We've proven to ourselves that it can be sustainable. And if we manage ourselves a little bit better, then maybe there is uh, a way forward. Yes, uh, I completely agree with you. If anything, this is a this is a demonstration that um, that the, that the system is sensitive to our actions. We can see it. Yeah, we like, can see it. You can, yeah, it's measurable. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. That said, there's a lot of warming already baked into the system from emissions that we've released in the past, so we won't really see the benefit for a few years. Right. There's just a lot of complexity and. Um, I, I think you've I think you've hit the nail on the head in the the major benefit from from this um, period of low emissions is probably the demonstration of the fact that our actions have consequences that you can see in the response to the climate system. Yeah, and I think when it's something profound enough, like uh, some of these photos that I saw, I wish I could remember the name of the town, but it's a town in, in the north of India, in, I believe in Uttarakhand, where they can see the Himalayas. Imagine if you opened the window of your house in Margate and suddenly you could see the Himalayas and you didn't know that they were close. You know what I mean? They're hundreds of kilometers away. It wasn't something people in this town thought about and suddenly it's a part of their lives. That's a That would be a huge change. I live in, in downtown Toronto. My apartment looks out into the back of an alleyway. If I looked out one day suddenly and had a view of sky and mountain, like that would change my my well being in a big way, and I would want to keep that. Yeah, and so I think too. the impact will be, I think, stronger for some than it is for others. Because I know that for depending on your lifestyle, it's very easy to see this as a loss. I know people are, are framing it often as, okay, well, I've lost something, something's been taken from me, I'm missing something. But um, there is quite a lot to be gained, and if you're if you're not fortunate enough to live somewhere where those gains are very in your face, I think that you have to do what you were talking about earlier and find those gains elsewhere, like set yourself some tasks and uh, find a way to make a gain yourself at home. Totally agree. The biggest thing, I mean, we've talked about it sort of briefly, but if you could kind of run it down for me is I've been asking everybody what's, uh, what's not happening for them. And it sounds like uh, you've told me some of it already, but uh, a lot of it is business as usual. So what, uh, it's a Saturday, Saturday 
uh, afternoon, I suppose, for you. Um, what's not happening for you at the moment that would be? <laughs> I'm not on the beach. <laughs> 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 that's it, man. Summer in Margate, that, that's it. We're, we're, we're on the beach or we're in a, you know, we're, we're sitting in a nice little bar or cafe overlooking the beach. It's, it's all about being on or by the beach and I'm at home. So, okay. Tell me, tell me this then. I, it sounds like you've got quite a number of good strategies, but I've been, um, I've been trying to do something productive that I can sort of celebrate. And then I've also been trying to look at something unproductive that I've done and then forgive myself for it because my, especially as a creative, my entire industry is closed. I worked Mm. mainly in sports and travel. Both of those things are totally stopped. So I'm trying not to beat myself up too much about the occasional unproductive thing that I've been doing. Have you got a a productive thing and an unproductive thing that you could share with me? Uh, Yeah. Um, Well, productive thing, like I said, I've been trying to treat this lockdown as a, as a productivity overhaul. Um, This is like a life, a complete life overhaul um with productivity <laughs> totally at the at the forefront so it's about you know morning pages i've tried to change my workouts and my exercise um i've changed my work schedule i'm using the notebook i've got that stopwatch imposing time limit all of that stuff um yeah this is just it's just been a an, an opportunity for to uh, find space for reflection and to uh just just to shed some of those tailwinds that you carry around in normal life um, so yeah, I mean, there's quite a few productive things. I, I think I've made most mention, but unproductive things. Um, you know, you have to give yourself occasional treats, unproductive treats. For me, I've started taking the occasional dad nap on the sofa. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's very out of character. I'm definitely enjoying that. Um, I've allowed myself more uh, time to to read some fiction. Okay, I love reading science fiction, but I never normally do. I normally just read, um, you know, uh, e- either science papers or nonfiction books. But I've, I've allowed myself to just immersed in some fiction that's great I'm learning some new riffs <laughs> that's- oh yeah are you playing then <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah a bit that's yeah. fantastic <laughs> they're little pleasures you you have to you have to yeah, I th- well, that's that's been my sort of mandate with this whole section is to try and treat them as little pleasures because I know uh, a lot of people, myself included, it, it's very easy to get sucked into something that you know is a space between two things you're supposed to be doing and you're creating this space and it's very easy to beat yourself up about it. And I think instead, especially considering the circumstances, you really need to give yourself a chance to relax and to enjoy those little unproductive things. Like if you scroll for 10 minutes on your phone aimlessly, I think that's all right. If, if you're, you know, going to sit down and watch all of Tiger King, I, I don't think that's the end of the world. I think you're allowed, especially yeah. considering <laughs> the circumstances. Sure. Love to ask you, though, as a direct next question is, is what um, what are you reading in, in terms of science fiction? Because I'm an enormous uh, science fiction reader and I'd be very interested to know. Oh, well, at the moment, I'm uh, I'm working through Neil Stevenson um, collection. I, I've read Seven Eves and I, I loved it. It was just, oh. just one of the best books I've read. Um, really? Oh, it was fantastic. Okay. Seven Eves, Neil Stevenson. And, and at the moment, I'm, I'm just uh, about 30% through uh, Reemdy, which is um, an, another one of his completely different, completely different. Cool. Um, but just, just great. Yeah. Lo- just loving them. Neil Stevenson. Uh, I'm, really in, I'm really into his novels at the moment. I'll check that out. I'm reading something I think you'd actually really enjoy. It's um, like a very uh, speculative science fiction uh, series called The Three-Body Problem. Mm. It's, uh, it's by a uh, 
Chinese author named uh, Xi Jin Liu, and it's uh, it's translated really interestingly in that it's written like for someone whose cultural background is growing up in, in China. So all of the references are detailed towards someone who knows Chinese history, uh, both uh, ancient and modern. And the translator does a really brilliant job of translating those references. Like if someone's name is significant, he'll explain why. If mm. like uh, a particular leader is referenced, they'll explain the context and, and that sort of thing. But it's brilliant in that I was never able to predict where we were going next. And the ideas are so far reaching and so creative. And it's a lot less about the story and a lot more about the world and the consequences that he can create in this world. He'll create a really strange, um, interesting idea and then come up with three potential consequences that you hadn't thought of. Because quite often, it, it, I find in, in science fiction, you tend to get the same five or six problems and then you deal with two or three moral dilemmas or two or three consequences. And this guy, the creativity is just incredible. He'll, he'll come up with, he'll create basically conflict that totally makes sense when you have a look at the situation he's placed these people in. But uh, I never would have thought that way. And it just it, the route he takes to getting there was just incredible. It's a three-book series. I'm into the third one now, but the first is called The Three-Body Problem, and I, it's really excellent. All right, good recommendation. I, I'll, definitely, uh, I'll definitely seek that out. My, my recommendation for you is, is Seven Eves, for sure. Seven Eves, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Incredible. Just, just uh, again, similar to what you were just saying, really creative science fiction, and it's split into two parts. And I'm not going to give anything away, but um, the first half of the book is is about this um, about this population of people, and then the second half is about their ancestors, 500 or 5,000 years in the future or whatever, telling the story of the people oh, from the cool. first half in the mythology of the people of the second half. And it's oh, just, that's it brilliant! Just works beautifully, there's so many Easter eggs and things like that. Just to you know, just to enjoy. It's, it's just great. Okay, and then um, uh, the the last thing I wanted to ask is, uh, I find that now more than ever is a time for sharing wholesome content, <laughs> whether that's something silly like a meme or maybe a good song that you heard or whatever the case may be, but something just wholesome that'll that'll make you smile. Have you got anything that you've seen lately or that uh, that comes to mind that you could uh, that you'd like to share? with us oh some wholesome content um me right okay uh i don't know i've got I, I know i'm i'm really late really late to the party here but i've got suddenly really really into podcasts okay and uh, until about three months ago i'd never listened to one Oh wow! And then suddenly, someone just downloaded a, uh, a a podcast app onto my onto my phone, and I think I've listened to about like three solid weeks of content, <laughs> and just, just, just gorging on it. And hey, now's um, the time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. It's just uh, a whole world that I didn't know existed, and I suddenly just like completely immersed in it. But I've uh, I've just discovered Radio Lab. And um, oh, brilliant! The AI podcast by Lex Friedman and uh, the Adventure podcast and Tim Ferriss podcast, and I, I'm just I'm just soaking it up. I just can't get enough at the moment. That's great. Yeah, I think it's it, it's fairly wholesome stuff. It's um, self improvement. It's it's adventure in the uh, loosest, most broad sense. Absolutely, it's good for the sake of having something good. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's ideas. If you can't explore physically, you can explore mentally and, and introspectively. Absolutely. And then just before I let you go, mostly for my self-interest, but especially since you've just said explore, I know that you've just come back recently from uh, a trip to Antarctica, which is a place that's uh, very close to me. I've, I've been fortunate enough to be there a few times. And I wanted to talk about a little bit about your experience because it's a very strange place and it only becomes stranger, I think, once you go. But uh, I followed your journey fairly closely on Instagram as, as much as I could. And I feel like we even got to go to some of the same places. But can you tell me a bit about what your experience was like, a very opposite experience to the expeditions that you usually take? Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, this was actually, uh, it was the first time that I'd worked in the Southern Hemisphere. Everything else I've done over the last 15 years has been in Greenland or Iceland or Svalbard. And I, I, I went down to Antarctica knowing roughly what was going on. I'd seen pictures, I'd talked to people and what have you, but in reality, completely unprepared for what it was going to be like. It was just, it, it was a different world. It was like being just on another planet. It was completely different. And um, I, I just remember standing, because I was mostly based on uh, Livingston Island, which is one of the smaller islands in the South Shetlands, just off the Antarctic Peninsula. And I, I remember having this feeling of just, just the scale, the overwhelming scale, the incredible amount of ice just all around to the horizon in every direction. But then seeing a map, and realizing that all the ice that I'd seen so far was just just a speck of sand on the edge of this enormous <laughs> continent that just goes on forever, and I just I, it just incomprehensibly large. The, the size of the ice cliffs, these glaciers flowing into the ocean, and then the actual you know, the, the the ice sheets themselves just unimaginably huge and the wildlife too i mean you don't when you, when you camp on on greenland for months and you don't see anything you don't see a single bird you don't see like any wildlife oh, wow. at all there's nothing nothing there and then you go to antarctica and there's you know ten thousand penguins around the corner and you stand on a stand on a beach and look out to sea and see humpback whales breaching in the distance and seals fighting in the middle distance and penguins knocking around in the in the foreground and albatross overhead <laughs> without just all without turning your head just all in one field of view it's just it is bizarre. yeah it's like one of Disneyland. the very different like <laughs> yeah absolutely it's very much like uh i know when people go on safari in africa they expect the lion king mm. uh but when you go to antarctica you do very much get you know every nature documentary that you've ever seen it is teeming and you can't move for some of the wildlife it's unbelievable yeah 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 and and just such such amazing wildlife as well yeah very strange strange things like did you see leopard seals yeah yeah and uh, and the elephant seals over there are one of the strangest animals enormous and so placid <laughs> right. <laughs> that, I think that's the other thing about it is that nothing is really afraid of you. So you can you have a very different experience than you have virtually anywhere else in the world. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the penguins and they're, they're just they're just fantastic. They're a riot. The way they just sort of flurry around like they're like they're doing some kind of important business. Like you're almost expecting them <laughs> rushing past with a little briefcase and a tie on. <laughs> yes, checking their watch to make sure they're not late for a penguin yeah. meeting. <laughs> I was uh, particularly invested in your journey just because I, I do really love that place but I was also really interested to hear because I know uh, how much time you've spent in the Arctic and how similar but also radically different it is. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of people 
kind of group those two places very close together. The polar regions are sort of one thing in a lot of minds. They certainly were in mine before I, I was fortunate to be able to visit. And uh, it's not until you see that contrast that you see how yeah. radically different those worlds really are. Absolutely. Absolutely. And um, in terms of their response to climate change, too, in a lot of ways, um, obviously, Antarctica is a lot of ice on land and the Arctic is, is a lot of ice over ocean and the atmospheric circulation, oceanic circulation around each one is, is drastically different. And in a lot of ways, it makes the Arctic a lot more sensitive. And uh, although it was, it was an incredible experience to go to Antarctica, I'm pleased um, that I've spent more time in the Arctic because it's kind of like the bellwether for what, what could happen as the planet warms. We've got a big problem if the Antarctic starts acting like the Arctic. It's it's a little uh, more stable and a little uh, larger, and because of its its landmass, changes happen slower. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah, it's it's interesting too because I um the I know that it's easier to penetrate further into the Arctic just because of the nature of it being uh, ice surrounded by water. You can get further north than you can south easily. Mm. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I can be in a camp on the Greenland ice sheet in two days, three days, maybe after leaving my house. But it was five days just on a boat, having left Argentina to to get to the nearest point of Antarctica. (laughs) It was almost a week and a half traveling just to get onto the to just get into the vicinity of any ice. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah, no remote doesn't even begin to describe it. Mm. Well, that's brilliant. I'm I'm really keen to hear that you that you enjoyed it and I'm also keen to hear that you feel your your uh, time is being well spent in terms of having spent more of it in the Arctic because if uh, that's where you need to be, I, I have faith that uh, it's uh, you'll be finding things out for us as we move through this strange and unusual time. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so too. Well, Joe, thank you so much for uh, for doing this and having a chat. I, I've really enjoyed it and I hope you have. Uh, it's been an absolute, absolute pleasure, Jeff. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, no, anytime. I, I will be uh, digging through to try and find a notebook uh, so I can uh, be doing my morning pages tomorrow. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Well, cheers. Thanks very much. All right, mate. Thank you very much. That was Joseph Cook. You can check him out on Twitter at to the polls. That's T-O, the polls, all one word, or on Instagram at the same handle. I'm Jeffrey Garriock, and this was not happening.